We are going to be in Matthew chapter 24. We're in this series, Are You Ready? And we're going to be looking at one verse today, Matthew 24, 14. So you can look it up in your Bible. In fact, if you don't have a Bible and you wish you had one, just take one. Take it with you. Honestly, it'll be our gift to you. But this is our verse for today. Read it with me, would you? And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. I can't hear you. Let's start over. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I mean, look at us. God is so good. This is fun. I mean, we've changed over the last three years. Did you know that it's about 50 people who today, instead of celebrating here in Dana Point, are celebrating in heaven that were here three years ago? We, I mean, it, it draws us closer to heaven to think that that's where the real party is going to be. And then there's also people who are here for the very first time ever on our campus, and welcome. So we started asking the city of Dana Point for approval in 2004, and uh, it took a, a dozen years and uh, $3 million, and we heard them say yes. Somewhere in that process toward the end in 2013, God gave us the San Juan campus as a gift and the people who were there. And uh, we got to join together and, and emerge, uh, marry the two churches together and worship the Lord together. And if you're from that congregation, would you just stand if you were from the San Juan Church and just stand and let us recognize you? I know there were a whole bunch in the last service. Anybody here? Just stand up and let us say thank you. Okay. A lot of them, there's a Sunday school class, so a lot of them go to the first service or the third service, and they're in Sunday school during this hour. And I didn't know that it was all of them. But then, <laughs> then it's all of you that made it. If you, were, if you were part of this congregation and you helped make the trek to San Juan and then you came back here, would you just stand and let us recognize you too, please? All right. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. You may be seated. And then there's a group. I'm not going to point them out, make them stand up, but uh, they're brand new. And, and, and that's happened. But I, I anticipate that's going to happen more and more with people standing in the parking lot and go, I've never been here before. And um, we, uh, we welcome you. And, you know, we've, we've changed, but we've, we've stayed the same in a lot of ways. I mean, we still worship in several styles where we have uh, uh, guitar and drums in a later service. We have organ and, and choir in this service, and uh, then we, are, uh, we have another service. If it's too loud, you're too old um, And um, uh, for our young people. And, you know, we, we were and we are and we will stay focused on being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What, what was Jesus talking about? What is he telling us to do? What is the gospel of the kingdom? So I went looking. That phrase, the gospel of the kingdom, is found in two other places in Matthew. In Matthew 12, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then in chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Virtually the same verse, two places in Matthew. And in between are five chapters. And in that five chapters is the Sermon on the Mount which is some of Jesus' greatest teaching and preaching. You have the Lord's Prayer he taught in there. The golden rule is in there. The calling of the disciples, including Matthew, is in there. And 
it, uh, he, he does all of his teaching, basically calling people to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the kingdom of heaven could also be called the reign of God. The kingdom of heaven isn't a place. It's all about the person, the person of God, that God is king over all. That's all through the Old Testament, that God is the king, and this is his kingdom. And our God is an awesome God, and God reigns. And he promises over and over and over in his word that he's going to do something special, something spectacular, and he will send a savior to save his people from their sins. And then along came Jesus. In the fullness of time, God in human flesh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. God injected himself into this world in human history. He intentionally arrived here for a confrontation with sin and with evil. He took it on, head on, and he died. And that was his plan, to die as the substitute sacrifice for the sin of the world. So the gospel of the kingdom is the preaching and teaching of Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near because Jesus came to display the power of God. He came to save people from their sins. He came to offer an open relationship between God and and the men and women, boys and girls. He came to prepare the way for peace and righteousness to rule and reign in human hearts. It can't do that without the power of God and Jesus Christ. And after Jesus lived and died and rose again from the dead, he gathered his followers together and he said, now you go make disciples of all nations. And they started out and they began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, just like Jesus told them to do. They started at home. It's a good place to start. They were in the city of Jerusalem and then it spread from there. Persecution pushed the good news out. It pushed it north and south and east and west. Peter and the apostles spread the good news, telling about Jesus wherever they went. Paul and Barnabas were commissioned as two of the first missionaries, going out making converts, starting churches, then writing letters to those churches, telling the story of Jesus and how things were supposed to be in in his family. Then people wrote the biographies of Jesus. And the work is not finished. All nations have not been reached. We're blessed in this church to be connected with efforts around the world called Finishing the Task with Paul Eshelman. He's actually here in the room. Where are you, Paul? Where did you end up? All right, just sit right here. Counting every nation, every people group in the world. How many more need to be reached? How many more? 250. 250. It's the smallest number in the history of the world to this point. And say we're gonna, and, and we have participated in reaching two of those people groups in Nepal. And that's the idea that we at South Shore Church, we put our shoulder to the wheel, we add our muscle to the push, that we who the love of the Lord see ourselves as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so we listen to his voice, we emulate his life, we follow his teachings, we believe what Jesus told us, and we follow him in obedience. So we started this conversation this last year um, among the pastors, then it grew to the, the staff and the deacons asking some clarifying questions. What did Jesus value? 
He said, go make disciples. How do we go about that? What's important for us to value? How do we keep in focus what Jesus had in focus? Well, over the last three years, really, we've grown a preaching team of five pastors. And here we are back. I said, why don't you all help me so that if you're new around here today, you're going to see all five of our pastors that preach on a regular basis. And uh, we're going to look at these five values. We kind of clarified everything, kind of boiled it down to say, here are five things that we see are the values of Christ that we try to emulate. And our first one is Anchored in God's Word with Pastor Derek. Thank you, Pastor Todd. It was a... Wow. It was a 1965 Toyota Land Cruiser that my friend had. He actually was a small group leader. I was 15 years old, and he took our whole group to the beach. And I still remember sitting in that front seat with the wind just kind of ripping through the, the, the holes and extremities and the the windows that didn't quite fit right. And we were rumbling at about 50 miles per hour on the freeway, max speed. And I saw this little jar sitting in the footwell. And I, and I looked at it, and then I concerned, with a concerned face, asked a question to the driver. I said, well, what's this? It's like, oh, that's an interesting story. You see, all by myself, I took apart this Land Cruiser. And all by myself, I put it back together. And what's in those jars are the parts that were left over. I was a little concerned at that moment. And I was asking the question myself, didn't he have a manual? Didn't he have a mechanic? Check this out. Are we going to make it home? Have you ever felt that way? Not, Not about a dangerous car you've ridden in, and we could probably swap stories on that. But I mean, what about your life? Ever felt like it kind of fell apart at some point? Or maybe you intentionally dismantled it and, and maybe you've tried your hardest to put it back together, but try as you might, there's still just this jar of bolts left over. And even if it seems like it's running right, you know it's not. And you need a manual, you need a mechanic, or better yet, the designer himself to come take a look at your life to figure out what's wrong. You see, we have a longing to be shaped and directed by what is true and real and lasting. See, you and I both need God's word. Now, God's word is more than a manual. God's word is the true story that is bigger than yourself that he's inviting you into that reveals God, the designer, and the original design. It also tells us how things got broken and God's plan to put it back together. But more than that, God's not just the author of the story. He's the one that enters into it as the hero, Jesus the Christ. So what does it mean to be anchored in God's word? Some of you are wondering if you just need to go out and buy a heavier Bible or you're sizing up the pew Bibles right now thinking those are pretty heavy. Well, Hebrews 6.19 says this. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, in the context of that passage, God's word is not the anchor. Hope is. But that hope is attached to something. It's attached to the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we are to place our anchor, our hope, in what God has told us and shown us and promised still to do. Because like the sea floor, God's word is steady, even when the waves of society and your circumstances seem tumultuous. We can be secure in who we are and in what is right and valuable and real when we place our hope in God's word. 
If God's word is like the rock steady sea floor, it's also a little like the North Star, which sailors of old would anchor their navigations to of the night sky. Because God's word not only provides us our security, it also provides us direction. It is our guide to glory. And that's good news because you and I, we actually make for pretty bad anchorage and we make for pretty dim stars. But when we anchor ourselves in God's word, that's to say that our hope is not in us, but it's in God. For if the God of the universe has spoken, maybe we can let go of our little jar and place our hope in the one who by his word will both harbor us in rough seas and will take us where he wants us to go and who he wants us to be. In fact, I want to pray that blessing over you right now. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, for each person in this room, you would help us to truly submit ourselves to your word as our authority for faith and living. And you would help us to spend time in your word reading and pondering and discussing so that it would transform our thoughts and actions. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Derek. Not only do we want to be anchored in God's word, we also want to be known by love. Seems like something we talk a lot about at church. But think about this. Right before Jesus was betrayed by Judas and got arrested... Just prior to that mockery of a trial where Jesus was endured that by the Jewish leaders, and right on the eve of being crucified by Rome, Jesus said something strange. John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another by this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm a little bit intrigued that as we sit here in this building with a new interior, and there's a new building over there, and there's a new building over there, at this moment, we're going to take a look at what Jesus called a new commandment. If you're a little bit cynical like me, you're thinking, how is the commandment to love new? Because it seems like it's all throughout the Bible, and you're not wrong The command to love wasn't necessarily new, but you know what was new was just how big and how deep and how great the love is. Because what Jesus would soon demonstrate was the extent of his love and the extent that his followers should love one another. The cross, where Jesus would go to die, would in a new way define for his followers how to love from that day forward. And Jesus made it very clear that if you bear his name, if you've called on him for salvation, you are to be known by love for one another. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said something like this. He said, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we're to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us, and that's far more than we love ourselves. Jesus said that love for other Christians would be the identifying mark of his disciples. And if they don't have the mark, they might be counterfeit. They might be fake. And it's not that love for the outside world is not important, but it's the first mark that marks a disciple. I'm going to finish telling you about a a theologian from a long, long time ago named Tertullian who lived in North Africa 
He was not a Christian. His family was, were not Christians. They were not a religious family. But he went to school. He was trained in Latin grammar and rhetoric and philosophy. And he'd planned to get a great job in the Roman government. But in his early life, he heard about Jesus. And his life was changed. He converted to Christianity. And he was ordained in the church in Carthage in North Africa. One of his writings was called To the Gentiles and Apology. And he argued that the Christian life, as we read in the scriptures, was better, was morally superior than any other world system. And he imagined in that writing all the people that didn't know Jesus of his day, looking at how Christians treat each other and saying to themselves, baffled, look at how they love each other. We want that to be us as well at South Shores. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place for our sin. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for pouring out your grace in such a huge measure on us. Holy Spirit, would you teach me and our church to be as generous as you were when you offered to forgive our sin? Holy Spirit, would you teach me and our church to love our other church family members with a love that looks like, sounds like, and acts like Jesus? In whose name we pray, amen. Good morning, church. Our next value is rescued to reach. Now, a little over a month ago, I had the opportunity to go to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum in downtown New York. Have any of you ever been? And when you go, you, you walk into the square and you see these pits, the, the former foundations to the two towers, and they've made them into fountains, and, and you see all the names engraved into the frame. And then you go down in, into the museum, and, and you see pictures and, and recordings of the event. You hear the voices of the various people, and it, it takes you back to that tragic day back in 2011, and you just feel the weight of it. And you can't help but think what it would be like if you were there on that day. And it had me thinking about, well, what if I was one of the people that was in the towers but was rescued, that got out? How would my life change? Would I be able to go about my day the next day just go, oh, like it never happened? And I don't even have to think about it anymore. And it's very clear that anyone who is in the towers is forever changed since that day. And so that brings us to our verse that we look at when we think of rescued to reach. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, we were rescued. We were rescued. Those that have accepted God's very own son, Jesus Christ, has been rescued. We have been rescued from the weight of our sin, that burden being taken off of us. We were, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And now we're made alive in Jesus. We were separated from God. And now we're being brought back into reconciliation with him. What a gift. And if, you, if you're not a Christian here today or, or you just don't know, you are being offered the gift of Jesus Christ to be rescued and so those of us who have, you are rescued. But see, our work isn't done. Because just because you were rescued, if, if that was it, you would have just been zapped up to heaven instantly. 
but you are here for a purpose. So we've been rescued with a purpose. So God includes us, us imperfect people in his perfect plan. He, he calls us because we are rescued, we are rescued to reach. What that means is we are to use our lives, use our situations as we are placed in our, our work, our home, our family, our friends to reach out and share that love of Jesus with others. And see, most of that's going to happen outside of these walls. It's not going to happen on this beautiful campus. It's going to happen in, in your homes, in your places of work, and, and where you enjoy to be during most of the hours of your week. Because you are going to be bringing the church to others. I mean, I can't help but think of last week, our last week in San Juan Capistrano when, when we had the sharing time. I mean, what a powerful moment. And in the 11 o'clock service, right in the back center, a man named Darren Doucette um, we were asked, how, has God, how have you seen God work in the last three years? And Darren Doucette stood up and he shared, you know what, three years ago, I was not a believer in Jesus Christ. And I dealt with some serious depression. And now I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I ask all of you to do this, to keep praying for the lost. Because I was one of the lost three years ago. Or Joyce Esselstrom, who she was sitting right here, and she stood up and she said, you know what, I, I was one of those San Juanians or San Juan people, and I don't care where we worship, as long as Jesus Christ continues to be shared. And that was powerful enough, but then two other people that she had brought to Christ stood up to share as well, a former atheist and now a Messianic Jew. And all of their pleas were one thing, to keep praying for those in your life that don't know Jesus. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we have gathered on this beautiful place, we almost can't believe today is here. Uh, it is in a gorgeous place. Lord, help us when we see it. Help us to instantly be brought to worship. Worship of you. Because it is with your provision, it's with your faithfulness, and your faithfulness has been demonstrated in all of time. And at the pinnacle of that is giving us your son as a gift, taking away our sin, wiping us clean so that we can be reconciled with you. And Lord, we pray that we will continue to carry out our mission that you have given us, and that is to share Jesus with the rest of the world. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I get to talk to you about prayer. Already you've noticed on the, the uh, pew in front of you a card that says, let's pray. That's for you to communicate with us so that we can pray with you. And you can fill this out. You can put it in the offering. You can turn it in into the boxes as you leave, whatever way you want to give it back to us. But we would love to get it from you so that we can pray with you. Also, if you go this way when you leave the sanctuary, you're going to run into a building, and the first room you're going to run into is a prayer room. That's available for you if you want to go and just pray. In fact, there are people in that prayer room right now who are willing to pray with you even during this service. So we're happy to have you do that. But I want to talk about something that's built into this campus and is available to every one of you wherever you are on this campus, and I call it a PS, a PS, a prayer spot, just for you. You drive in, you finally get a parking place. After demonstrating unlimited love 
you get a parking place, you get out of your car, the people next to you aren't very happy, they're kind of grumpy, you realize it's been a hard morning for them, you have a prayer spot. Right out in the parking lot is a prayer spot. You can turn and ask the Father to bless them as they come to church today. When you get into the lobby and it's really crowded and all these people are there and you're impatient because the service is going long, the first service, it happens. Sometimes the Lord blesses and we just go long. And you're out in the lobby or you're over in the hub, the hub, the building over here where you're getting some coffee and you're getting a donut and uh, you're having some fellowship and somebody shares with you some bad news from the doctor or something that somebody's made a bad choice in life. That's a prayer spot for you. Right there, you can put your hand on their shoulder with all these people moving around you, and you can pray for that person right there. Or when you leave, and you're aiming to get out of the parking lot, and you get to the light, and the person in front of you can't decide whether they're going right or left. That's a prayer spot for you. Instead of grumbling and mumbling, you can pray. We value prayer here at South Shores. And we do it for three reasons. One is because we have an incredible seriousness about God. We take him seriously. Two is because it's the way we talk to God. And three, it's because it's the way we partner with God. We talk to him, and he talks to us. Let's do that together. Father, we want to depend on God in our life and in our ministry, and we want to partner with you and invite you to partner with us. Thank you that that is possible. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So let's take a minute and talk about investing in what's next. We'll be developing this over the next few weeks, but the verse for this section is from Colossians 1, verse 10. Why don't you read it with me? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of, the God, of God. You know, we want everybody connecting to worship and to a small group and to a ministry, a job. And if you were to say, well, I'm just too busy for that, uh, to do a job, well, then here, here's three things you can do. You can pray. You can talk about Jesus to the people you meet. You can invite people to come with you. These new buildings, you know, are tools to, to be used. And yesterday, as we were scrambling around, there was furniture going out. There was this and that. And I happened to walk outside, and a car pulled in, and people got out. I didn't recognize them. So I said, are you looking for somebody? And they said... Well, we're looking for a venue to have a memorial service for our 29-year-old son. That happened the week before that, too. So we actually have a service, um, a, a funeral service Friday this week coming up and Saturday of reaching out to people in the community who have noticed that this could be God's house and that they want to come and to have a service here for people that they have lost and have loved. And so for us to invite people and realize that our invitation is so important to them, to that we walk in a manner worthy. What's the next step for you? You know, God says, take a step. And if we take that step, and then we take another step, take another step, pretty soon you're doing what's called walking with Jesus. And that's what we want to be about, to walk in a manner worthy. 
So it would be tragic as a church if we thought or acted like, well, we've made it. <laughs> we've done these improvements for ourselves, and now we're here. Churches die when they get too self-centered, too inward-focused, too self-absorbed. And so we want to invest and invite and make that easier than ever to just talk to people and say, hey, come and see the new place. You know, have you ever thought, for instance, you could talk to your walking buddies or your, your tennis partners or somebody to say, tell you what, at lunchtime, grab your lunch on Tuesday. Let's meet out on that deck and just sit there in the chairs and table that's going to be there and enjoy and you could bring people to church any day of the week, not just Sundays. So we want to be people that are still investing and inviting in others. We want to continue supporting missions and missionaries. We want to be part of church planting. And uh, we, we want to keep developing leaders to bear fruit for God's glory. That's why we have four staff in youth. That's why we have four staff in children. Because we want to see those people grow up in Christ I mean, you watch the news, you've experienced deterioration in the values in our world. Do you think it's easier to be a kid today than it was when you were a kid or harder? It's harder. Do you think it's easier now to be a kid who lives for Jesus or is it harder than when you were a kid? It's harder. So why not encourage the young? That's where I'm wanting to, to ask you. If you're over 30 years old, pick somebody half your age here around church and encourage them. Learn their name. Learn their interests. Listen. I mean, if you can't be cool, and you can't with gray hair, if you can't be cool, be kind. Be kind. Get to know somebody personally. I have found that when you hand them money, they really like that. And, and you can listen, and you can care. The point is, who are you bringing along with you and, and sharing the faith of Christ? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Let's stand and pray together, shall we? Dear God, we thank you that you are at work here in us and in this place. I thank you for each person here. I pray that you will bless us now as we go. And we thank you for Jesus and for what you have done. And God's people said, amen. God bless you.